you would come to earth. That Mary could hold you in her hands, Lord Jesus. That God the Son would so condescend to come for us. Lord, as we open your word, fill us with joy, awe, gravity, whatever right response you would have for us this morning, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, if we haven't met before, my name's Dan, I'm the pastor here, and uh, we've been singing, obviously, a bunch of carols. There's just a good vibe when we sing carols, isn't there? It's joyful, it's happy, there's delight. Uh, In fact, that's one of the big themes of carols, joy to the world, after all. Joyful, all ye nations rise. Come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Joy is a big reason why we gather together and and sing together. And of course, kids, I've seen a a few kids out here, I saw Daisy, you and there's a few others. Uh, Tomorrow will be a joyful day, won't it? Because presents are coming. (laughs) Now, I've already received a few presents myself. I I got sort of an early opening. Uh, And so, kids, I'm going to show you a few presents that that I've got. You're going to be pretty jealous of these, all right? First up, I received some window shades (laughs) for my car. Second, a recipe book. And third, this is the one you'll really be jealous of, right? New salt and pepper shakers. Now, I received all these gifts from my parents-in-law who are just over here, so I've got to be careful what I say. But um, kids, you're, you're jealous, aren't you? <laughs> no, not at all. The sad thing is, though, here's the sad thing. I'm not just saying this because they're here. Uh, I, I'm stoked about these presents, and that's because I'm in my 30s, and these are things that actually bring me joy now. <laughs> that's so lame, isn't it? <laughs> at Christmas is a time of joy, of course, in, in giving presents, also in, in getting rather, but, but in giving them too, and, and seeing their, their faces light up when you get just the right thing. It's a time for family. We fill up the relationship tank. It's a time for food, more food that we could ever hope to eat. Uh, It's a great time. The nostalgia. We set up the Christmas tree. We hear the familiar songs. It's fantastic. But the problem, of course, is that the joy we experience at Christmas is only ever temporary, isn't it? I I don't know if you've noticed this. I think it's just because I'm getting older. But Christmas does seem to come quicker every year and then pass quicker every year. I mean, that's just simple maths, isn't it? I'm 35. It's 135th of my life this last year. It's, It's going quicker. Uh, and, and the joy that we have, it's, it's there for a moment. It is there, but kids, the toys end up back on the shelf or they end up in the wardrobe somewhere in a couple of months. Uh, the Christmas tree gets pulled back down. The family all leave and say goodbye. The waves of nostalgia, they fade. The joy was there, but just for a moment. And that's why I think every uh, week in summer, both before and after Christmas, we see scenes like this all across the Central Coast. A sea of cool cabanas across the sand, right? People going out for a surf. In fact, people get out for a surf sometimes 5am in the morning to beat the crowds. Not me. I've got what we call a reader's tan, so that's not me that's out there. Uh, but, but I think it's because, you know, most of everyday life for us from January to December is, it's not nearly as joyful as this season, is it? We don't, we don't have those same feelings we get when we sing the carols and we're with the family and so on and so on. Most of life from January to December is fairly joyless. I don't mean that it's always sad. I mean that it's, it's fairly absent of those moments of delight and of marvelling and of awe that we tend to get around this season or that people might get when they're out in the surf or hang out with, with friends or parents on the beach. 
there's something that we are searching for to get us above everyday life. Because everyday life tends to be get up, eat, sleep, repeat. Right? That's how it is. And so whether it's get to the beach, or it's discover a new video game, or get a, a, a new piece of technology, find the perfect outfit at the shops, uh, click with that right person on the first date, uh, get the happy snapshot of the family, whatever it is, we, we're, we're sort of chasing these moments of high, these moments of, of joy that make us happy in our hearts. And this is really interesting. Some of the latest scientific research suggests that finding joy in life is really, it's, it's about quantity, right? You've just got to manufacture as many of those small moments as possible. So you might have heard of NPR before, National Public Radio in, in America. Uh, they're a very sort of uh, scientific-based uh, journalist group, uh, and they've developed something. It's a website called The Joy Generator. So you go on the website, and it says this up the top. Are you feeling blah? Right? You're feeling blah, just it's everyday life. Science shows that you can boost your happiness by taking time for small moments of delight. Really, they're making the claim that true joy is found by just grabbing these small moments as much as we can. Mindfulness, that kind of thing. Uh, now, there's a big button there. You can see it says, click for joy. Would you like to click it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Worth a try. We'll give it a go. So we click the joy button, and we're greeted with a picture of deep space. And uh, what comes up on the website is a, a subtitle for that that says, why does gazing into the cosmos give us such a feeling of, wow, look up at the stars in the sky? Well, you click again, and then you get a time lapse of the sky at dusk, so it's this, this sunset, and it says, awe makes you pause. The fight-or-flight sympathetic nervous system dials back a little. You might feel more calm. And then it concludes, find delight by taking the time to look up and look around. Now, there's something really good about that. Uh, in fact, they've got eight little experiences that you can do. There's poetry, there's cute animals, there's watching plants sprout over like this fast-forward video. I mean, it's pretty cool. You can go and have a look if you want. Um, all it's trying to do is inject more moments of delight and happiness into everyday lives. Right? That's a good thing. The problem is no sooner do we look up at the stars than we're brought crashing back down to Earth, right? <laughs> we all experience this. You might have a moment of, of transcendence, a moment of delight, a moment of joy, but then, of course, the bills you've got to pay enter your mind once again. The kids are screaming in the background. They're fighting again, right? You're reminded, oh, there's that job I've got to do around the house. There's big decisions I've got to make about the future. There's a tricky relationship I've got to navigate. And the stress begins mounting back up again. All this, this searching for joy in the small moments is still only grabbing at temporary moments, temporary joy. And that leads another psychologist. You might have heard of him. His name's Russ Harris. Anyone read this book or encountered this guy? I've read this book. Fairly helpful. Um, Russ Harris makes a different observation about joy. So you might get what it is from the title of his book, The Happiness Trap. Uh, he makes the, the point that we should stop searching for joy altogether. Right? Uh, holding on to happiness is like trying to catch the wind. You can't grab it. You can't hold it. You can't keep it. So he says, what we've got to do is accept that life is hard. Treat the moments of delight that come along as a, a little bonus, right? But it's not worth chasing for. It's chasing after the wind. So accept that life is hard. Accept that you're going to be uncomfortable. 
Seeking joy only keeps us from dealing with the reality of suffering. Happiness is a trap. Merry Christmas. <laughs> now, there's something right in what he says. Like I said, I've been helped by this book in some ways. Uh, life is hard, isn't it? The world is broken. We are uncomfortable. We do face suffering. There's no way around it. But of course, I do think we all have a sense that there's something more to life than that isn't there. There is something worth seeking that is more than just hum along accepting discomfort. Now recently, as many of you know, and I'm sorry for this, I'm a new dad, um, we welcomed our little child Zoe into the world and uh, she's now six weeks old as of yesterday. She is beginning now to smile at us and I swear she's smiling at us, not what's happening in her nappy, okay? I swear to you. But, but there, when she smiles, yeah, you look down and, and when people come visit, she smiles at them too. It's really lovely. She's a perfect child. Not perfect. There's no things perfect, right? But, but she, she smiles. At, when, you, when you look at a newborn and they smile at you, I mean, doesn't it just set your heart alight? <laughs> it makes you so happy. And no one looks down at a newborn child and thinks, what a pointless creature. You were made for a pointless life. Right? No one looked at you when you were born and thought, boy, you're just in for a, a life of suffering. Get used to it, kid. No one thinks that way about life when you're confronted with what life really is. Point is, we're made for something more, aren't we? Something more than just settling in with discomfort. Deep down, we know that's not the end of things. We yearn for real and lasting joy. And I mean something specific when I say real and lasting joy. Because by real and lasting, I mean more than what brief moments could ever offer us. I mean more than an exciting Christmas present or a good surf or even hearing I love you. I mean something more than, than what can be taken away by other people when they change how they feel about you. Or what can be ripped away by the trials of life when life takes a, a harsh turn left or right. I mean more than, than something that can be taken away by anxiety that just won't lift. I also mean something, a joy that's more than just a dopamine hit. Chasing after some sort of experience of transcendence. And I also mean more than a, a joy that traps us into running away from suffering, like Russ Harris says. I don't mean the kind of joy that just traps us in living for happiness, but rather a kind of joy that helps us walk through suffering and even live in it. How can we have this kind of real and lasting joy? Well, just a moment ago, we heard a curious story that Kim read out for us. In fact, it's one that's been weaving its way through this Christmas service. And it's more than a story. In fact, it's an account, a historical account. Uh, the man who wrote it for us is a man named Luke in the first century. He was a doctor. And like any doctor, he really checked his details. He interviewed the eyewitnesses. He wanted to make sure that this thing really happened. Because, I mean, what happens in this story, this account, is pretty unbelievable. It starts very believable. It starts very feet, feet on the ground. He tells us that late one night out in a Middle Eastern field, there's this group of shepherds. And they are 
living life much like we do, you know, uh, eat, sleep, repeat, work, 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 drudgery of everyday existence. In fact, today, tonight, they're pulling the night shift. <laughs> Shepherding work is not glorious, especially in the first century. Uh, what it looks like is, is looking after animals that, well, I mean, the, the benefits, if you want to talk about the work benefits of, of shepherding, benefit number one, um, constant responsibility <laughs> for really dumb animals. Uh, number two, offensive spells. Number three, having to look after these employees who, if they see someone jump off a cliff, they're going to do the same. It's not glorious work. But tonight, something completely disrupts their routine existence. An angel appears, a messenger from heaven, a messenger from God. And like I said, Luke checks his sources. He was convinced that these things really happened. Now, the shepherds understandably begin to freak out, right? I mean, if a messenger from heaven actually appeared, sort of, as it were, in the flesh before you, how would you react? Yeah, <laughs> freaked out. Uh, and especially when they say they come bringing news for you. I mean, what sort of news is it going to be? Is it going to be good news or is it going to be bad news? Uh, considering the way that most of us live life, if there's this incontrovertible, incontrovertible evidence in front of you that God is real and he is speaking, and then you think about the way that we treat God, you go, this is probably not going to be good news. So they freak out. But the angel assures them, don't be afraid. In fact, this is usually what angels have to say to people in the scriptures when they appear to people. Don't be afraid. I've come with good news. Open up your Bibles if you've got one there. Luke chapter 2. If you're using one of the church Bibles, I'm on page 857. You can look on with someone nearby if you want. If you want, just grab your phone, Google Luke 2. It'll come up. We're coming in chapter 2. That's a big number. And then verse 10. That's a little number. Page 857 on the Church Bibles. Luke 2.10. Listen to what the angel says. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great what? Great joy. That will be for all the people. Behold, says the angel, listen up. Take a look. I'm come with good news. Good news that will bring great joy, not temporary joy, not joy that traps you in a cycle of not being able to deal with your suffering or gets ripped away by the trials of life. Great joy, real joy, lasting joy. And not just for one person, not just for people that we might think are worthy of it, joy for all the people. What is this good news that brings great joy? Verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. See, the message of joy centres, surprisingly, on a baby. And I know that we, we've heard this story over and over and over and over, but consider that. Consider being these shepherds out in the field, normal day, angel appears, good news, great joy, on it goes. And then they say, go and find a baby. What the heck? But look at the way that this baby is described. Three titles are used. Saviour, Christ, Lord. 
And these shepherds, being Jewish, they would have been familiar with each of these titles. Uh, Saviour in the Old Testament, which they would have grown up with and, and read often. Uh, the Saviour in the Old Testament was God himself. Right? It, it was God who saved his people, Israel, again and again and again and again. He saved them from slavery in Egypt. He saved them from uh, armies that were much more powerful than themselves. He saved them even from exile that was of their own doing when their rebelliousness led them out to uh, be exiled from the promised land. He saved them. He was the saviour. But this child will be the saviour in a new way. Secondly, is the Christ. Another word the shepherds knew. Uh, Christ is the Greek form of the word, but, but in the Hebrew that they would have spoken, it would have been Messiah, just meaning anointed one, chosen one. Chosen to do what? Chosen to save. Chosen to rule like King David which then comes through as well in that final word, Lord, meaning ruler or king. This child born in a manger has come to save and rule. Big expectations to put on a baby. And yet in this point, it's, it's entirely appropriate. This baby has come from God the Father. This baby is God the Son. We've been doing a series through Advent where we've been looking at Jesus who is fully God, fully man. He is the, the God who became man and he is the man who is God, right? Only he can be the saviour, the Christ, the Lord. This, this arrival of this baby is actually the defining event of human history. Why? Because it is God come to earth and he's come not with judgment, not with bad news, but with good news. Good news that brings great joy, which leads in verse 14, a bunch more angels to suddenly show up. Again, imagine that. And these angels begin breaking out in song, praising God. Glory to God in the highest, they sing. And on earth, key word here, peace. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. And notice that word, peace. This child, this saviour, this Lord came to bring peace. Not just Inner peace. You know, you walk down the Gnostic corner of Woi Woi and you might walk into a shop and someone goes, ah, inner peace, I can find that by buying this crystal or, or whatever. Nor do I just mean the flimsy concept of peace that John Lennon imagined, right? There is a, a greater sense of peace here, true peace, which in the Bible, it's a technical word, peace. In the Old Testament, it was called shalom. And it means a sense of order a sense of things being in their right place. And particularly when the Bible talks about peace, it's talking about people being in their right place with God. God and people being well-ordered together, sort of like being in harmony or, or in rhythm together. A bit like when you hear good musicians play, and I mean good musicians, not bad musicians. When you hear good musicians play, uh, my brother-in-law, I'll give you a, a look at him here on the left, that's Joel, um, he is a jazz musician. He plays just about every, music, uh, every instrument under the sun. And uh, this time last year, I got to hear him play with a bunch of his mates. And I've heard Joel sort of play by himself here and there. But, you know, when you hear good musicians, really good musicians, play together, what does it do in you? You know, when, when they're all in time and in harmony, even just the song we heard before where, where Rhonda's leading the lead and then you've got Ross and you've got Ethan with some harmony and the music and the, the different the drums and the guitar and they all work together. It's beautiful, isn't it? 
it sort of, it sort of lifts us beyond ourselves. There is a, a joy, it is a moment, but, but there is a, a joy that comes from hearing this well-ordered, harmonious, in rhythm, in time music. And that's what the Bible pictures as peace. It is, it is peace between God and people that is like being in harmony, in sync, like musicians. Peace that brings true joy because we're living with and under the God who made us. That's what we're made for. And so the shepherds now hear that this kind of peace and this kind of joy comes through this baby in a manger, the Saviour, the Christ, the Lord. And so they think, you know, I've got to go and see this thing for myself. <laughs> and what they find is much like this scene you can see up on the screen, uh, Mattia Preti, Adoration of the Shepherds. I quite like this scene. It's a little bit dark. Um, but, but you know how you often see those classic ancient sort of paintings that have the big halo around Jesus and it all just feels a bit otherworldly. I don't think it was like that. I, I think it was quite, you know, rustic and, and, and quite um, uh, almost muddy. And there's something that comes through in this picture, I think. Jesus there in the centre, the shepherds around, everybody looking. And the shepherds come in and they, they can't help but just pour out. Wow, you know, uh, here he is. This is the one the angels told us about. Listen, this is the Saviour, the Christ, the Lord, the one we've been waiting for. Guys, this is the one. And then we see three responses to this news. Firstly, and you can see in the picture there, there's a bit of a crowd around. Maybe some people have heard there's a child that's been born. They come and see, but then the shepherds come and tell them the news. And then in verse 18, it says that they wonder at this child. They wonder, they marvel, right? They, maybe it's shock. Maybe it's surprise. Could God be doing this amazing thing? Could this mean real joy? Could this mean real peace? But the problem is, they only wonder. They have this moment of joy in seeing the child Jesus. But then, of course, they go back to their everyday lives. In verse 19, we get a different response. But the child's mother, Mary, she goes a bit further. She, she treasures up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Now, at home, we've got uh, what we call a special box. It's just like a chest that we have in one of the spare bedrooms. And every Christmas, Sky and I, we write a letter for each other. It's all very romantic. It's very lovely. Uh, now we've got a baby. It's probably going to be half as long as it used to be. But we, we, get the, we get the letter and we fold it up. And we put it in the Christmas tree and then find it on Christmas morning. Now, these little letters, as well as our other keepsakes, all go in this special box once we've written them. This is kind of what Mary is doing here. She is treasuring up. She is, she is sort of holding close what is happening in this moment, who this child is. She doesn't get it all, right? It hasn't all been revealed to the shepherds, let alone to Mary yet. But she, she treasures it up. It's something she's going to keep coming back to over and over and over. There is a joy that goes beyond this moment for her. It is more than a momentary joy. Finally, there's a third response. Verse 20, we hear that the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. That last little bit there is very Luke, right? I've checked my details. It happened just as the angel said. But their response, the shepherds, is just like the angels from before. They praise God. They praise God. They might not have the whole picture yet, but they praise God because of his good news of great joy 
this child who has come to save and to rule and to bring true peace. So three responses there. Three responses. One is marvelling for a moment. One is treasuring up for a lifetime. And then the third is worshipping God. What can we learn from all this? What can we learn from this account, this story? And what does this mean for us today as we search for real and lasting joy? I think the first thing we learn is that God has something to say about it. He has something to say about joy. The scriptures actually make the audacious claim that true joy isn't found inside ourselves or around us, but it is found in the person of Jesus. Joy comes down to us from heaven. Now, of course, we should still enjoy all the many good gifts that God gives us at Christmas time the presents, the family, the fun, the carols, it's all good stuff. But that joy can only ever be momentary, can't it? It doesn't really last beyond the season. Discovering real and lasting joy isn't about looking inside or around, but about meeting the one that God has sent. That is where true joy is found. Second, true joy isn't just about being happy all the time. (laughs) Russ Harris was right about this in The Happiness Trap. Uh, True joy doesn't look like bouncing along like a happy Christmas elf looking for the next dopamine hit, okay? Uh, It's about experiencing peace with God even in the midst of a difficult life. It's experiencing peace, harmony, living in rhythm with the God who created us and cares for us and rules over all. That is where true joy and peace is found. In fact, it's from the one who created joy. He knows how to give it. He promises it to his people even in the midst of suffering and weakness. He makes sense of our suffering and weakness. And in that, there is profound joy. It's joy in relationship with God and with his people. That's the second thing. Third and final thing. Actually, a little bit more on that. This is exactly the reason why God sent his son to earth, friends. If you don't understand this, this is really crucial to get. He wants us to live in harmony with him, right? This is God. He's a giving God, a generous God. He's not Ebenezer Scrooge. He wants us to live in harmony with him. But we can't get into rhythm or harmony with him ourselves. We are like tone-deaf amateur musicians, okay, who cannot play and keep up with the jazz musos. All of our good works, even our best works, don't meet God's perfect standard. We need someone to to sort of bring us into rhythm with God by his good and perfect life, and that is Jesus. He doesn't stay in the cradle. He goes from cradle to cross, And he dies for us, for our sins, for our rebellion, our rejection of God. So that by his work on the cross, we are brought back into rhythm with God. We can experience peace with him. We stop marching to the beat of our own drum. We begin learning to march to the beat of God's. And we find forgiveness when we fail. This is great joy, good news. Which means, third, that we need to respond to this news. How do you respond to this child? How are you responding to this child? Not just when you see the little porcelain baby in the nativity scene. I mean this child who came in history. How do you respond to him? We can ignore it. We're free to. We can try to find moments of joy in the rest of life, but they will only ever be moments. We can marvel at him. 
we can say, how good that I came to church, and it is good you came to church. Or we can say, how lovely was that? But again, that will only be a moment. Or we can treasure it up, hold it as true, and then pour out thankful praise to God. That is what the Bible calls faith. It's to trust what God has done in Jesus, hold it tight, and then it leads us into a response of thankful worship. So enjoy the good things in store this Christmas. I really do mean that. I hope it's a joyful Christmas for you and that the moments are happy and delightful. I really do mean that. There is so much to enjoy. But the question is, will you merely settle for joyful moments or will you find real and lasting joy? That is the question, friends. And if this is new for you, if these are new thoughts, or, or maybe it's just, maybe just, you've heard this before, but it's just brought up a new thought for you. I really encourage you to chat with another Christian who's here this morning. Uh, maybe someone you know, maybe someone who brought you or invited you. Uh, have a chat with them. Ask them, what makes you joyful as a Christian? Good question to ask. And then share with them what your thoughts are and, and how to find true joy in life. We also did, by the way, uh, if this is new for you, um, a series, I mentioned it before, through Advent, where we looked at the identity of this child Jesus, just layer by layer. God, man, the God who is man. Uh, three weeks, three sermons. You could go on, they're about 40 minutes. Have a listen to them yourself. Write your questions down. We'd love to see you in January and, and think about that stuff together. But also, if you are a Christian, you're currently clinging to this Saviour, who is Christ the Lord, then I really mean this. Enjoy this Christmas. Look to him again today. We never need to move on from the gospel, friends, do we? Look to this Jesus in trust, thankfulness, and joyful worship. Let's pray. Lord, as we begin now to sing more carols and move into morning tea, and then we move into time with family, loved ones, perhaps for some of us, time alone. There'll be happy moments and we know there'll be sad moments, perhaps. But Lord, I pray that you would lead us to a real and lasting joy in Jesus. Wherever each of us is at, Lord, I pray that you'd help us take one more step this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to share in communion together. Uh, and this is a moment to reflect on what we've just heard. A moment to reflect on who Jesus is, what he came to do, the joy and peace that he came to bring. And so if you're someone who is a baptised believer, you've been baptised as a sign of your faith in Jesus, uh, then you are most welcome to, to join in this. I think we just lost me. We're good. Um, if that's not you, um, this is a moment just to sit and to reflect. Okay, This, this is something for Christians to participate in. Um, and so if that's you, come on down and, and the helpers will be down the front.